John chapter 15. You know, there's... uh, Are we rolling there, Philip? Great. Thank you, sir. You know, there's nothing like children. How many of you have children? You know, there's nothing like children. They will try your soul. And I hope you know they can fill your soul as well. Especially as they're learning to communicate. I guess, you know, in Janice and my lives, we wanted our four babies and we wanted our four babies early so that we could be somewhat younger when they are all gone and enjoy life together. And Father in His sovereignty gave us this huge... got sick after Benjamin. We're clicking here, Philip. Yeah. We watched for that, brother. Um, and um, I didn't want it that way. And I know Janet didn't want it that way. But uh, I can just see myself going to uh, Morgan and Avery's school activities later on. And they'll be going, is that your grandfather? <laughs> no, that's my dad. But I tell you, I'm so glad now that it's like that because we're on the lifetime parenting plan. And I get to relive what it was like to have those little tiny ones, you know, when they're just learning to communicate. Not too long ago, I was walking across the living room floor and Morgan stopped me and she says, Where are you going, Dad? I said, Well, I'm going to the bathroom, sweetheart. She said, Oh, Mommy, we'll be so proud. I know I mess all over myself, but not in that way, you know. Well, yesterday, the little squirt, I was working around the house, and she came running up, and out of, out of nowhere, just planted a big hug and a kiss on me, and then those little tiny hands grabbed my face and held me just like this. And she looked into my eyes, and she said, Poppy, you're my bestest girlfriend. You know, when they're just learning to communicate, they just don't quite get it yet, you know. And I hope you know that that's true when it comes to God. I have here some statements from some little kids written about God, and these are a hoot. Collected from different Sunday school teachers and then shared. Did you know, as these little kids wrote, that Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree? You know, there's some truth in that. (laughs) What we are today, you know, is the fruit of that. Uh, Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc. (laughs) This one's open to some interpretation. Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day, but a ball of fire by night. (laughs) Uh, The grace of God was upon Lot, I guess. Oh, goodness. Samson was a strong man who let himself be led astray by a Jezebel like Delilah. That's right. This is a spelling error. The Egyptians were all drowned in the desert. The first commandment was when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. And men obeying obeying ever since. (laughs) And all the obeying men said amen. The fifth commandment is to humor your father and mother. (laughs) Goodness gracious. The seventh commandment is thou shalt not admit adultery. (laughs) Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jericho. (laughs) Jesus was born because Mary had an immaculate contraption. (laughs) So that's what they call that thing, huh? (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. (laughs) 
And how many attorneys? We got a lot of attorneys for some reason in this church, more than the norm. How many attorneys are there here today? We, okay, we got a few that are missing. I guess that's because we teach grace here, that we have so many attorneys. I think you guys will appreciate this one. Jesus enunciated the golden rule, which says, to do one to others before they do one to you. <laughs> oh, goodness. They just don't get it, do they? And I hope you know that's okay for kids. It's okay when little kids don't get it. But I hope you know that's not okay for us. Not when it comes to God. If we don't understand and enter into who He is and what He is all about in our lives, then you and I are going to be severely confused and terminally frustrated in our walk of faith. And I hope you heard the words that we chose to use. Terminally frustrated. If you don't understand as a Christian who God is and what He is about in your life, it will be death to your faith. And so along comes Jesus to give His marvelous words. Incredible truths of His legacy. The final, most important, deepest recesses of His heart. In John chapter 15. Why? So that we can get it. So that we can understand what Father wants to do in our life. Cooperate with it. My friends, I am so glad you're here. Those of you that have been here for many years with us in our ministry together, know that there are many times I've shared with you where I will labor during the week, and on Saturday when I go over my material, Father just keeps me up all night, and I rewrite and rewrite and rewrite, throw out everything I did all during the week, 20, 30 hours of labor into the circular thing, and then he does this incredible thing Sunday morning, and, and I come here not knowing what's on the paper because I just wrote it, and we share happened a few times. Some of you have been here for those times. That did not happen this week. When I labored in Father's Word this week, I finished up on Thursday, and I said, Father, this is really neat. And when I went over it last night, I said, oh my gosh, Father, this is really special. And then this morning, when I went over it again, and popped up real early, when I was finished going over it, I said, My Father, why do you let me see such things? And why do you give me the privilege of sharing them? This may be the most important thing I've ever shared with you. And I've just been walking in a, kind of a heightened intensity, kind of a heightened, almost fear that I don't get in the way. And two, that you, the choice servants of God, came to hear today. And not to just go through the token motions and giving God an hour out of your week. Because I guarantee you, if you hear what Father is saying in this passage through Jesus, you will have confidence to face this world we live in. And if you don't hear what Father said, then you can just walk hand in hand with confusion and frustration. It's that simple. So would you stand with me, please? Because I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> that Father would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation by the power of the Holy Spirit within you to see like you've never seen before. And while I do that, I'd like you to pray for me. Shall we do that? Our Father, 
We lift our hearts before you. We lift our hands. We lift our voices. We stand in your presence right now. Because this is serious stuff. The final hours of Jesus' life. His best friends gathered around. At times like these, you don't talk about the weather and you don't talk about the sports. You talk about the real issues of life. If there's a red-letter version of the Bible, Father, it's these verses right here. If there's a holy of holies in Father's Word, in Your Word, Father, it's right here. So I pray You'd capture every heart by the power of Your Spirit. Don't allow any distraction. Don't let our minds wander off to all the cares of the day. Grab us intently by the power of Your Spirit so that we can hear. And Father, I yield my own life before You now. For you to speak, I know what I've written, but I'm willing to turn and share whatever you would put in my heart. May we see, Father, your role in our lives. And we trust you for that. In Jesus' blessed name. And let every saint say it. Amen. John chapter 15. And I want you to read verse 1. We said we're going to go very, very slowly through this passage. and We really don't care how long it takes us to do it. Jesus said, I am the true vine. That's as far as we got last week. And I hope you know, my friends, that is startling, startling revelation. Because the entire Old Testament is based upon Israel being the vine of God. Jesus here is saying to Jewish people, no longer. Hundreds and hundreds of years. Hundreds and hundreds of years of understanding. Hundreds and hundreds of years of how to live. You get to God by going through the nation of Israel. You talk about tradition. Some of our traditions die hard. You should have seen some of the eyes many years ago when I showed up that first Sunday in jeans without a coat and tie. Traditions die hard. This is hundreds of years of tradition. Life will no longer be found in the nation of Israel. Life is going to be found in me. I am the true vine. I wish we could have seen the disciples' faces. And please know, I hope you know, that it had to be that way. Because reality is, life really wasn't found in Israel. <laughs> right? Israel was a vehicle to God. It was how a man could get to God, by faith in the sacrificial system. But please know this, and I hope you know this. There was no vehicle in an old covenant economy to bring God to man. God could not dwell inside of a man because a man born in Adam on this planet is sin. And there was nothing in the economy of Israel to remove the sin. So through Israel, man could come to God, but there was no way God was going to be able to come inside of man. That's why there had to be a Jesus. That's why there had to be a death on a cross. That's why there had to be a resurrection. And Jesus is now that vehicle. No longer is a man to look to the nation of Israel. We now look to the one true vine, the one source of life from God called Jesus. And that's what this church, above everything else, is about. You see the banners when you drive up? What's it say? Come experience the grace of God. And the grace of God, what is a, not a doctrine, but what? A person. And what is His name? Jesus. We don't preach grace here. Please stop saying that. We preach Jesus. And Jesus is grace. Hallelujah. Amen. Now that was shocking news. Startling revelation. But I'll tell you what, the even more startling revelation comes in the next two words. Look at John 15 verse 1. I am the true vine... 
And my Father is the vine dresser. Stop right there. That's as far as we're getting today. That's by design. It's too rich. If you think you were shocked that I'm now the true vine and Israel is set aside, you're in for more than that. My Father is the vine dresser. Why is that so shocking? Well, throughout the Old Testament and throughout the Gospels, my friends, God owns the vineyard. Now, how many of you know that when you own a vineyard, you don't labor in the vineyard? You're a rich man when you own a vineyard. And you hire common laborers to work in the vineyard. That's the way it's done. Right? And that's the way it's pictured in the Gospels. God owns the vineyard and He's got laborers who work in the vineyard. You're familiar with those parables, right? And those parables refer to us. We're the laborers. But here Jesus makes an incredible statement. He says the owner himself is laboring in the vineyard. In fact, it is his unique role. And that's an incredible, incredible revelation, my friends. It is shocking language. I wish we could have seen the faces of the disciples now. God is doing the common laboring? Yeah. And I hope you realize what this reveals about the character of our God. He is so concerned about His vineyard. And who is that? It's us. That He will not allot to anyone else the care of that vineyard. He's too concerned about you, Steve, to let an angel take care of this. That's awesome. Michael won't do, John. Gabriel won't do, Jeannie. You hear this? The care of the vineyard is too important for a father to let anyone else do it but he himself. That's awesome stuff. It begins, first of all, with Jesus. He's the vine. Well, God the Father took care of the vine. Didn't he? You remember that Jesus, from Philippians chapter 2, humbled himself. He was God. He is God. But he had to humble himself and take upon himself the form of a man. Why? Because man had messed it up and a man had to make it right. You look around the room, there wasn't one of us that could have pulled it off. Only God could pull it off. So he had to become a man. And so he humbled himself and he became obedient to the Father. He assumed the role of complete and utter dependence upon God the Father. And you know the passages. We've looked at them. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, I can't do anything but by the Father. I don't know anything but by the Father. I am completely dependent upon Him. So the Father was uniquely the vine dresser of the Son. And He did a pretty good job of taking care of the Son, didn't He? Remember Isaiah 53, it says that Jesus was here like a dry root on parched ground. How much chance of survival does a little tiny root have in a, in a dry, barren land? Not much. So the Father had to take care of Him from day one. And He needed to, right? He brought the gifts of the Magi to start with. Right? The gifts of the wise men. But then what else did He do? He gave Joseph a dream. And get out of Dodge, son. Get down to Egypt. Herod's going to kill the babies. And there was weeping in Ramah. Because every child under two years old died. But the father was the vine dresser. He took care of the son. See? When Jesus was a man and he was in the wilderness and being tempted, the father was there ministering to him and he sent the angels there to minister to him. All those times the Pharisees laid their traps and yet Jesus was able to get out of it. You remember, you remember, don't you, from John 8, when the one that they had him more than any other time on the face of the planet that he was here? When they brought the woman that committed adultery? I'll tell you, my friends, I'd love to teach that passage again. Maybe we'll even do it again next week because it's just so much fun to watch how the Father provided for the Son. If there was ever a time the Pharisees had him, it was then. They brought that woman caught in the act of adultery. Well, you say, Jesus, 
This woman's caught in the very act. They had him. Oh, did they have him. If he says, let her go, then he's not righteous in fulfilling the law, is he? If he says, stoner, then what? He's not the merciful Savior he's making himself out to be. They had him. It was ingenious. Oh, the wisdom of man. But to the wisdom of man came the wisdom of God. <laughs> because what did Jesus do? He sat down and started drawing in the sand. And everybody focused. What was he doing? What was he writing? I don't think he was writing a, a silly thing, people. He was sitting here going like this, going, Father, I need help. <laughs> he was killing time, man. And when he heard the revelation from the Father, here it comes, Jesus. Ah, he knew. Hey, you without sin cast the first stone. And then what did Jesus do? He went right back to riding in the sand. Oh, Father, that was a good one. We got him. <laughs> and sure enough, they all left one by one. Was it glorious? That's the provision of the Father. That's the vine dresser taking care of the vine. Yeah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. My friends, though, he doesn't need to take care of the vine anymore. Where's the hallelujah for that? My Jesus, my friends is no longer in a state of humiliation. My Jesus is back on the throne getting the glory that's rightfully His. Amen? Hallelujah for Him. I am so glad for Him. My only prayer now is, Father, come back and make Your throne here on earth so all these silly people that don't give You the glory that is rightfully Yours will begin to give You the glory. Because every knee is going to bow. Willingly or forcefully, but they will bow. Because he's got the most exalted name of anyone. The Father gave it to him for what he did. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> it's awesome. Well, if Jesus is in glory, he no longer needs any care, does he? So when Jesus here says that the Father is the vine dresser, who's he talking about? He's talking about us. Okay, girl. He's talking about us. He's talking about us. Well, that instantly ought to lead us to ask a question. What in the world does it mean that He's a vine dresser? Well, we said last week that there's only one reason to have a vineyard. We saw it in the passage. It was what? Fruit to more fruit to much fruit. That's what it's all about. And so let me put it this way to you, my friends. When you and I read, my father is the vine dresser, we can say this. He was the vine dresser of the son. He is the vine dresser of the saints. Present tense, right now. He's your vine dresser, Don. He's your vine dresser, David. What does that mean? The only purpose of a vineyard is to produce fruit. One writer put it this way. The wood of the vine has the curious characteristic that it is good for nothing. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you are good for nothing. Neighbor, you can tell it right back at him. Isn't it wonderful that you and I are good for nothing? It's exciting. All the nothing said? Amen. Thank you. It is too soft for any purpose. It's true of my wife. Very soft. I'm glad she is. Isn't that exciting? All the men said? Amen. At certain times of the year, it was laid down by the law that the people must bring offerings of wood to the temple for the altar fires. Did you hear that? Sacrificial system. They offered smoke. They offered the fat of the animals. You had to bring wood to take care of that. But you weren't allowed to bring the wood of a grapevine. Why not? The only thing that could be done with the wood pruned out of a vine was to make of a bonfire and destroy it. Why? Because it burns too fast. There's no substance to it. Did you hear that? 
There's no substance to it. It's just stringy, and when you light a match to it, it goes whoosh, just like you had soaked it in kerosene. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, there is no substance to you. <laughs> See, you couldn't even use it to heat your house with. You couldn't even use it in your fireplace and curl up with your bride before it on a cold winter's night. It's useless, gang. Let me put it to you real simple. It's fruitfulness or it's useless. That's the way it is with the grapevine. So the bottom line of the vineyard is, how do you get the fruitfulness? If, we're, if the vine is useless for anything else but fruit, then what's the obvious next question? And how in the world do we get the fruit? Because we better be fruitful. That's what the Christian life is all about. What does the vine dresser do to accomplish fruitfulness? Well, first of all, there's preparation. And we're not going to turn there, but you can write this down in Isaiah chapter 5 because God himself tells us how you prepare a vine. And there he said this, that you buy a field. Let me get another sheet here. You buy a field. And then what he did is he removed the stones from it, cultivated it up. Then he planted the vineyard, and then he built a wall around the vineyard, and then he built a watchtower in the vineyard, and all of that was so you could protect the vineyard. Get the idea? What a marvelous picture of the Christian life. You buy the field. What did God do with us? He bought us with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's called redemption. Then you remove all the stones. What did he do? He removed all the sin. Isn't that awesome? He put you on the cross and He killed you, Lottie. Hallelujah. He removed every sin that you've ever committed, ever will commit. Isn't that awesome, Michael? It's gone. Hallelujah. And then He plants it and protects it. And I hope you know that's the job of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit came and planted the life of God back inside of us. And then He sealed our spirits so that we can never, ever be lost. How dare you as a Christian think you could ever lose something so precious as the gift of salvation that you have been given. It was a gift given to you. It's a gift that He will keep. Glorious. 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 How dare the church think that their sin could be bigger than the power of the Holy Spirit to keep the saint. But I don't want to get lost into this because that's all just preparation. That's all just the beginning of the labor. There's a lot more work to be done. And all of this work that's been done here, this beginning of labor, is to prepare for a glorious, glorious harvest. But again, it's just the beginning. What an incredible thing when you own a vineyard. Labor, 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 labor. That's just the start. Then it's labor, 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 even after that. And the main focus of the labor is right there on one word. It's called pruning. Let me read to you, because we're all a bunch of city dwellers, about this thing called owning a vineyard. It's called viticulture. Can you say that with me? Viticulture. I knew you could, because you're my neighbor. Viticulture consists mainly of pruning. What's the main focus of viticulture? Pruning. So what is the Father's main role in yours and my life? Pruning. Keep that in the back of your mind. Every vineyard must be pruned by an expert. Did you hear that? You let some schlemiel in there to prune the vineyard and you're going to have some real trouble. The vine dresser had to know how and when to prune and fertilize the vine so that it would produce the maximum crop. Why? Again, because the whole goal of the vineyard is fruit, more fruit, much fruit. So you need expert pruners. You see now why we said in the beginning the Father will not let anyone else do this but He Himself? In my reading, I came across this. This is phenomenal. Many vineyards will apprentice pruners for two to three years before allowing them into the vineyard. Isn't that incredible? 
had to apprentice on how to cut a plant. You had to know exactly where, when, how much, at what time, and even at what angle to cut the branch. Fascinating. In pruning a vine, two principles are generally observed. First, all dead wood must be ruthlessly removed. There's one. Cut off the dead branches. Second, the live wood must be cut back drastically. Living branches. Dead wood harbors insects and disease and may cause the vine to rot, to say nothing of being unproductive and unsightly. Live wood must be trimmed back in order to prevent such heavy growth that the life of the vine goes into the wood rather than into the fruit. The vineyards in the early spring look like a collection of barren, bleeding stumps, but in the fall they are filled with luxuriant purple grapes. End quote. Did you get it? My friends, I'm not going to entrust this morning to a written quote. This is one occasion where words will never do. They just can't convey the reality for which Jesus used the illustration. Here is where there is no substitute for personal experience. And I'm so glad to have had the privilege of having had that personal experience. You see, my mama lives in what's called the wine country of California. She lives in the southernmost portion of the wine country. And when we go to visit her, it's an incredible thing to look at. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of acres of vineyard. And when Janet and I have gone back and had occasion to visit there, we have taken the opportunity to visit the vineyards and go on the tours and, of course, sample the grape juice. That's what Jesus made, right? Grape juice? Let me tell you, after doing that for a while, I even dreamed of owning a vineyard. I told Jen, I said, wouldn't it be fun? I mean, look at this. I mean, you're out there just with this little vineyard. There's one about a mile from my mom's house. And it's a little 70-acre thing, you know. And and this guy was working in corporate America. And he said, enough of this. And he went out and he bought himself this little 70-acre vineyard. And and he lives there. And he's hired a bunch of people. And, and, you know, there they are. And I thought, you get these little dreams, you know. Leave the rat race. Go live among the vines, you know. And it's romantic, you know. How many of you saw A Walk in the Clouds? Did you see the movie? Wasn't that awesome, you know. Just, just, oh, this is so great, you know. And, And anyway, it was... The dream. (laughs) Until I saw the amount of labor. Then I didn't like the dream. When those plants are first put in, they are pruned every year and not allowed to bear fruit for three to four years. You better have some money saved up in the bank. No fruit for three to four years. They cut back the branches and cut back the branches because they want all the life in the vine to go back into the branches themselves, to the main root, to the main stem. Because that stem is going to have to grow big and strong so that it will be able to support the weight of huge clusters of grapes. See, the life is not allowed to produce fruit. It's allowed, it has to go back in to build the strong central root system. And also so that life of the vine, it can carry a tremendous amount of of the life of the vine through to the rest of the vine. Do you see the idea behind it? My friends, isn't that exciting? Apply this to the Christian life. God will take away your fruit-bearing ability so that He can ultimately have a greater crop of harvest in your life. Own this. He is not so much concerned that you just go out there and do it which is what we hear in a lot of churches. Just do it. Just do it. The old theme of Nike. Just do it. Uh Uh-uh. That is not the theme of a new covenant father. He'll put you on the sidelines in order to get the greatest fruit out of your life. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, I need to call to your attention something here because that's not all that happens. 
he will also go after the good branches. You see, after the initial three to four years of pruning comes what they call the severe pruning. The vine dresser comes with a knife to cut, first of all, all the dead branches off. There will be branches on the vine that die. They need to go. I would point out to you that he uses a knife. Those branches have to be cut off. The grapevine wood is very stringy. It adheres to itself. If you try to pull the branch off, you will tear away good parts of the vine. Do you see that? That's why you have to cut them off. So you don't risk damaging the good part of the vine. That's a wonderful truth, isn't it, for the Christian life, David? That our Father will cut away all the dead wood. He'll cut away the bad habits. He'll cut away the faulty belief systems. He'll cut away the stinking thinking. He'll remove the friends that we ought not to have as friends. He'll get us out of the job that we ought not to have as a job. See? He'll take away all the nasty things that hinder us from being fruitful. Aren't you excited about that? Hallelujah and amen. And it's the Father's job. I love that. He doesn't just leave it to us. Isn't that exciting? Because us get counterfeit life out of things and we like that counterfeit life. We'll hang on to it if left to ourselves, won't we? Personal testimony, anyone? The Father is faithful. He will cut away those dead things. I'm so thankful for that. But don't stop there. Look what the overhead says. The painful reality is he cuts the living branches. He attacks, if you will, the good vines. Healthy vines. Vines that would be bearing fruit if they would be left alone. And I tell you, my friends, you would not believe what a vineyard looks like in December and January. When the severe pruning has been done. I've had occasion to see it. You go out and you look at this thing and there's this, this stump of wood. And literally nothing left on it. The closest analogy I could give to you poor de- deprived city dwellers in the south is what many of us do with our crepe myrtles. Trim them back, trim them back, trim them back, and you look at those things and you go, yuck. But then what happens later in the growing season? It's an incredible burst of color and life. That's the way it is with the grapevine. Only when you and I trim our crepe myrtles, they've already lost all their leaves. See, the illustration breaks down. Here you're cutting off all these good-looking branches with all that luxuriant green on them. It just doesn't seem right. And then don't stop there, because the pruning, I've learned, continues throughout the growing season. Pruning, 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 pruning. Good branches. Even cutting away branches that have whole clusters of grapes on them. Isn't that incredible? If you were to watch him do it and he picks up a branch and it's got this big cluster of grapes, whack, uh uh-uh, not good. Needs to go. But it has fruit on it. Uh Uh-uh. It has to go. So the rest of the crop will be of higher quantity and quality. Does it really have to be that way? Yes, it does. I did some further reading. And this is what writers had to say about grapevines. If you leave them alone... They are such prolific growers that they will use all of that prolific growing ability into itself. And you will then have this huge display of green foliage with little teeny grapes. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if I've ever heard a greater picture of man seeking to live apart from Christ. All of this luxuriant green foliage, 
pouring into itself. Look at me. Look at me. Aren't I beautiful? You can say amen. Aren't I wonderful? Look what I've done. Look what I've built. If you knew what I've done and built and knew how beautiful I was, you'd, you'd admire me. See? But just little, little bits of real fruit that stand in the kingdom of God. Don't you dare, my friends, don't you dare look at this passage and say, oh, that's nice. Apply this. I'll help you. What have you done, Steve Wilson? Well, look at what you've done. Look at the green foliage. Isn't it wonderful? Look at it, Jerry. Isn't it wonderful? Point to all of it. But how much of it is going to stand when the match goes to it? That's the issue. What a picture of man. Vineyard. That's us. So you know what Father must do? Put it on the overhead for you. Hack, 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 cut, cut. I said it's going on the overhead. Cut, cut. Incredible. To keep us from growing luxuriant into itself. So the good can be better. So the better can be best. Oh, my friends. If a vine could talk. If a vine could talk. What would it say? Maybe something like this. Oh, it's wonderful out here in this California sunshine and... 70 degree year round weather where Frank would love to go back home someday. <laughs> Just basking in it. The gentle breeze is coming in off the Pacific. Isn't it wonderful? You can mow your lawn and not sweat. Look at the growth that it's causing. Look at me. Oh. Oh, my caretaker is here. So good to see you. I've got all these dead branches bothering me. They're hindering me. They're heavy to bear. They have no purpose in my life. In fact, they scare me. They're even potentially harmful to me. Please cut them away. Please do that for me. Take them far from me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> there it goes. Uh, it's gone for me forever. Rid of it now. Oh, I feel so light and free. Thank you, vine dresser. Thank you, thank you. I, I sing your praises, vine dresser, for taking away all those nasty things in my life. You are so good. You are so good. You are... Wait a minute, what are you doing with that branch? Why is that knife still in your hand? What are you doing with that knife? No. Oh, no, not, 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 oh! It's gone! You cut it off! It was green! It was good! I don't, oh, not that one too! Stop it, stop it! I don't like this! Oh, God, look at it! I'm bleeding! I'm bleeding! And you did it to me! I don't like this at all. Go back. Go leave me alone. It was better before I knew you. Stop it. Oh, stop. oh, no, no, no. What are you... Not that branch. Look at the grapes on that. It's full of grapes. No, not that. It's too dear to my heart. I've worked so hard for that. It's the joy of my life. Oh, God, you did it. Look at it. All that work I poured into that vine. All that good fruit. And you cut it off. Oh, yeah, look at you now. Just walk away. Leave me here alone, bleeding and bruised. Who do you think you are? I was better off not knowing you. It was better before I knew you. 
happens to us that it's this evil world we live in. The biggest one I hear is, it was Satan. Satan has come after us. If Satan came after you, it's only because God allowed him to. The enemy is not the pruner, my friends. The God of Israel who sits on the throne of the universe is the pruner. How dare we ascribe to the enemy the work of God? He will remove the good to bring out the best, and I hope you hear this. That means that God, our greatest hope, is also our greatest threat. Did you hear that? Did you really hear it, my friends? God, our greatest hope, is also our greatest threat. God is a threat to me? Frank, I've heard heresy from your lips over the years, but this time you've really done it, son. No, if you understand John 15 and the role of the Father in your life, then you will say, yes, He is the greatest threat. He is the threat to our comfort. He is the threat to our flesh. He is the threat to our selfishness. He is the threat that will keep us from fruitfulness. And praise God, He is that threat. Because the greatest thing that God could do in an act of judgment is to leave you and I to ourselves and stop pruning us. The greatest danger, the greatest thing of judgment He could do to you is to put His pruning knife in its sheath and leave you to yourself. And so I hope you understand this, because it is exactly because He is our greatest threat that He is our greatest hope. Hallelujah. Because He will do the things in our lives that we would never do to ourselves. Do you understand that? Do you really understand that, my friends? He will bring the things to your life that you would never, never wish for you. And He will do it because He loves you. It's not chastisement. It's not punishment. It's not discipline. Not here. Not what we're talking about here. This is the removal of good vines. The good that you and I produce. The living out of the tree of good. See? And it's not good enough. So He'll go after us because He is the faithful pruner. The painful pruner. We need to realize this, my friends. There is no other way to interpret this passage. Let me put it to you this way. When you encounter the knife in this world, at best, Father allowed it. At worst, He caused it. At best, He allowed it. and worst, He caused it. He is secure enough in His identity to tell us that in His Word. He's not worried about His reputation. Why should we be worried about it? Trying to describe His work to the enemy. Ridiculous. I have friends that I've tried to teach this message. Oh, Frank, the church isn't ready for this message. Why not? Truth. You want to get an example of it? Go to Genesis chapter 50. You know the story. Joseph taken. Here's this young man thrown in the, in the wells by his brothers, then sold into slavery and off into Egypt. There to be thrown into prison. There to suffer for years and years and years. And what happens when he runs into his brothers years later? They are scared to death. Why? Because Joseph is now in a position of power. And when he finally reveals to them who he is, what does he say? It wasn't you. It was God. What do you mean it wasn't you? They're the ones that threw him in the well. They're the ones that put him into slavery. They're the ones that sold him. You better believe it was them. But Joseph has been given eyes to see what Jesus is saying in John 15. 
There was a greater cause. And the greater cause was the living God of Israel. He did it. Do you realize in many churches that would be blasphemy? Because we think we have to defend God's reputation and everything God does is good. Yeah, it's good. It is good. You better believe it, but it hurts along the way. I have a friend of mine. I love him to death. He has great spiritual investment in my life. His wife, several years ago, was leaning over to turn the radio station and tune it when she was going around the curve. And she rolled the car. And she was in ICU and severely injured for many, many months. And one of our dear brothers came to him and said, What do you think God's trying to tell you, my friend? And he, in his remarks, said this, and I'll quote, He's trying to tell my wife not to tune the radio when you're going around a curve. You people that always want to see God in everything. He said it as a slander. He should have been declaring it as a doxology. That was God. God allowed it. I don't know about you, but my God sits on a throne. And there is not a thing that occurs on the face of this planet, but that He either allowed it or caused it. He works all things after the counsel of His own will. Let me put it to you this way. This is powerful. My God is on a throne, not a heavenly grandstand. Whatever's occurring in your life, David, my father's the intimate knife wielder. You're too precious, Diana. You are too precious for him to sit up on a grandstand and let other people wield a knife. It was God. Can you say it? Oh, you're real encouraged about that, aren't you? Can we try it again? Maybe it'll help if we do the next one, too. It was God. Let's say it together. It was God. And because it is God, what? It is good. Thank you. You know, it helps to have illustrations. And so I asked Father, give me an illustration to drive this home to the people of God today. And this is what popped into my mind. Frozen juices. I'll explain. Frozen juices. Do you thaw those puppies out and drink them like that? Ooh. Why not? Thank you. Because they are concentrated juice. And so don't you see, my friends, why the illustration? This is what God is trying to do with you and I. He's tr- he is pruning us, but He is pruning us with purpose. And the purpose is to get into our lives concentrated Jesus. Where everything else is just cut away. Does that make sense? And that's the fruit of His own life. And we're going to talk about that fruit next week. Just what it is. For now, it's appropriation. You don't dare hear a message like this this morning and walk out of here and say, Oh, wasn't that wonderful? (laughs) Did my duty to God. Or walk out of here and go, Boy, who did he think he was today? I disagree with that. You don't do that either. You appropriate something like this. I need you to stand before your God. The picture of the grapevine here is really simple. Father will hack away the dead things in your life with a knife. But not only that, He will go after the good things in your life. Let me tell you a personal experience. There's nothing a husband and a wife want more than the fruit of their own life 
be healthy and beautiful. We got one out of two. That little girl, that was God. That is not a random freak accident in the womb. That is God. He will remove the good in order to bring the best. So that is the best for Janet and I before our Father. And that is the best for that little girl. Is that her crying against this? No rebellion now. (laughs) And so what this really is, my friends, is the grapevine is an issue of totally and completely surrendering to God. Years ago, I went for some help because I was dying. I went to a dear friend of mine, and he asked me these words. He said, Frank Friedman, did you ever fully surrender to God? I said, oh yeah, about ten years ago. He said, "Uh, what did you say? I said, well, I don't remember. Well, give it a shot. What What did you say? I said, well, I think I said something like this. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Does that sound good? I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. Total surrender. He said, Frank, you didn't totally surrender. I said, oh, come on. Don't play semantic word games with me. I'm dying inside here. He said, no, it's not semantic word game. It's reality. What's the first word of your sentence? <laughs> Get the clue? You didn't totally surrender, Frank. This is total surrender. You can do whatever you want to me. And he's taken us up on the offer. How many of you know this is scary? But it's the only way to have a fruit that will stand after the match of God goes to your life. Right now, I want you in your heart, if you can do it, to say this. If you can't say it yet, And I want you to say it in a minute. We're going to show you what's next. But if you can say it in your heart right now, realizing what it means, this right here. Let's do it verbally, all you that can do it. Father, you can do whatever you want to me. I give you my life. Start hacking away. Now, if you're not able to do that, that's okay. Then I want to give you, secondly, the words of that great contemporary theologian, Kathy Wilson. Where you say, I'm not willing for that. Okay. You know what? I introduced that too soon. Kathy Wilson will be there in a minute. If you're not able to do this, then listen right here. Be honest with God. Don't say you're willing for it if you're not. Then say this, I'm willing for you to make me willing for you to do whatever you want in my life. So all of you who weren't able to say the first one, this you can do, right? Let's say it now. All you who didn't the first time, we're going to know who you are. (laughs) And that's okay. Father, I'm willing for you to make me willing for you to do whatever you want in my life. How many of you know that pruning isn't much fun? So now in the words of that great contemporary theologian, Kathy Wilson, when God comes to you with his pruning knife, listen to these words, she said it this week, don't be resigned to it, receive it, embrace it. Why? Because when God comes to our life with his pruning knife, how many of you know when he cuts off the dead branches, it's wonderful? But when he goes hacking good things, it ain't wonderful. And you and I can slip into something called resolve. Or resigned. Okay, God, you're just doing it. Go ahead. How can I fight you? Can't fight God, you know. You're bigger than me. Although I do think if you'd come down face to face with me like you did with Jacob, I'd give you a good scrap. (laughs) See? That's not it, gang. 
I'm talking about, Father, I don't understand what you're doing, and I don't like what you're doing, but with my will, I receive it wholeheartedly because I know that what you're doing is ultimately for my good. The glory's coming, I just don't see it. So I receive it, and I refuse to fight against it anymore. Understand? Why? Because it is God, and because what? It is good. For all of you then that have been fighting against what God's doing in your life, maybe it's been a sickness, maybe it's been the loss of job, the loss of financial security, maybe it's a wide world of sports marriage, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, maybe it's the spouse who's ripped your guts out. Maybe it's the kids that are breaking your heart. Whatever it is right now, you say, Father, come on, I'm not going to let you get out of here. Father, I haven't been receiving what you're doing. And because I haven't, I mean it now. No, that was a... (laughs) That was a rebuke. (laughs) I mean it now. I haven't been receiving it. I've been fighting against it. I've been trying to change it. I've been trying to fix it in my flesh. No more. It ends today. You've brought the knife. I hurt. I've been bleeding. But the struggle is going to end right now. I receive what you're doing. You can just do it. Why? Say it with me. Where's the final overhead? Because what? Say it. It is God, and therefore, it is good. Lastly, if He's brought the knife to you, don't quit. Please don't quit. I know you're bruised, and I know you're bleeding, I know you're hurt, and I know you're confused. But I want to share with you the four-letter word of the Christian faith. There it is right there. Wait. How many of you know that's the worst four-letter word in Christendom? Wait. It's hard to wait when you're bruised and bleeding. It's hard to stay in that position. Everything within you is going to want to fix it. Don't you fix it. Don't you run out of a marriage. Don't you run into a marriage. Don't you run out of a job. Don't you flee this state. You sit there and you receive what God is doing in your life and you wait. You've already, we've already done with, dealt with it. You've already told God you're willing for Him to do whatever He wants to do. That means you're willing to hurt. Boy, this message would never fly in a lot of churches. But don't just wait. Wait watchfully. Because I'm going to let you in on the vine dresser secret. This is neat. We learned this the last time we visited the vineyards out in California, Janet and I. It's good stuff. Just before the harvest, for one full month, you know what the vine dressers do in a vineyard? They turn the water off. And that dirt gets dry and dusty and it cracks. And what, the reason they do that is to dupe the fruit into thinking that a drought has come. So the, the vine goes nutsy trying to produce all these grapes loaded with high, the highest content of sugar that it can. So that as the drought continues, the plant will then absorb that sugar and survive. All right? The vine deaths are secret. How does it apply to us? You're going through a dry season. But the dry season is so there is coming a tremendous harvest of fruit in your life. Isn't that awesome? Father... I receive this season of dryness. 
Because the harvest is coming. Our God, my friends, will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He will take the ashes of your life and make a beautiful garland of praise out of them. If you will just cease with your stubborn will and enter into what He's doing. We've had some harsh times in my life, my bride and I. But I would not trade what we have today for anything. Because the vine dresser is faithful. Now because we know this, do you have the courage to say the one final response? You ready? Shall we say it? Let the pruning begin. Father, no one wants to hurt. No one wants to feel pain. We don't get married for that. We don't have babies for that. We don't live in this world for that. Not from our hearts. We live because we want life. And I thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you opened up the truth of your word to us today to understand what your role is in our lives. That you will do for us what we would never do for ourselves. But it's with purpose. To bring out in us the greatest fruit that the world could ever see. And for that, all we can do in our lives and with our lips is say thank you and praise you. Father, as I look at my brothers and sisters right now, I would ask you to be faithful to them because I know them as I know myself. We will be faithless. But we praise you that you will be faithful. So be it in each and every life. And let every branch that is connected to the true vine of life called Jesus say it. Amen. Wow. You talk about taking a drink from a fire hydrant. Bless you in Jesus' name. May you know His love and may you know His presence, His peace, His strength, His grace, and His mercy with every step you take in this world, knowing that Father is never more closer to you than when He has brought His knife to you. Amen. Baptism class right next door immediately. Hustle over there if you would, please. And we'll see you at baptism 5 o'clock at the Wilson home. And there is... um, the youth group tonight.